School CEO Conversations is an Aptogy Media production. We like to have insightful conversations with education's most inspiring and thoughtful leaders. In this episode, Professional Learning with Voice and Choice, we talk with Lisa Elliott, Superintendent of the School District of Greenfield in Wisconsin. Here are today's hosts, Michael and Brittany. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. We're really excited to have you on and uh, really excited to kind of dive into how you've like, you know, rethought of professional learning within the district. Well, thank you for having me. Very excited to be able to share our professional learning philosophy and how it aligns to our district's mission today. Yeah, and just to get started with, we ask every educator this. So how actually did you get into education in the first place? Like what really spurred you into wanting to do this? So um, what really spurred me to become an educator is um, my dad was an educator for 35 years in a large urban district here in the state of Wisconsin. He also coached three sports, and so that became a big part of who I was growing up and watching him interact with young, young adults because he was a high school teacher um, really spurred me on to want to be an educator. and. It, it was really around not content, but it was around the relationships that he built with his students and with his athletes, and I wanted that to be a big part of my life. And obviously now you are a superintendent, and so what kind of led, then led you to want to actually take on that administrative role, specifically the superintendent role? Yeah, you know, I had um, a wonderful administrator, superintendent that I worked for here in Greenfield. Um, I've been an educator for 31 years and I've spent 29 of my 31 years here in the school district of Greenfield. So I started here as a high school chemistry teacher. Um, Then I became a high school assistant principal. And during that time when I was a high school assistant principal, the superintendent at that time um, really spurred me to think forward. What was the future? Um, Had me think about the leadership uh, abilities that I had as an educator and how I was leading from the classroom. Um, and how I could move that forward in other capacities. And so I was a high school assistant principal and I was looking for a principalship and um, brought me in his office and asked me about where did I see myself wanting to be. And I, I wanted to be a principal and someday superintendent or director of instruction. And he felt as though it was really important to have that K-12 perspective. And so shortly thereafter, named me as principal of one of our elementary schools here in the school district of Greenfield. And so having that K-12 perspective, I think really was helpful in becoming a superintendent. That's really cool. I always love when we get a chance to meet superintendents who have really deep roots in their district. I mean, 29 years is a very long time. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your district? Yeah, absolutely. So our district is a first spring suburb um, of the city of Milwaukee in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, we're a very I bet div- things have been pretty uh, exciting and crazy over the last few it weeks has. since the Bucks won. Yeah, <laughs> go Bucks, right? Bucks and six. Um, it's been really exciting around, around these parts. And then the Brewers are doing exceptionally well as well. So we've got a lot to celebrate here in, in the area. Um, Our school district is very diverse, um, which is fabulous. I think it's great for our students to be able to experience what the world will look like when they leave us. Uh, We have about uh, 46% free and reduced lunch here in the district. 
Um, there are 46 different languages, home languages that are spoken. And when you think about uh, the top five languages, it really speaks to our diversity. So Spanish is one, Arabic is two, um, Hakachin is three, which is a Burmese and Indian language. Uh, Serbian is number four, and then Vietnamese is number five. And so, and then there's, you know, 41 languages uh, after that as well. So we really have this really rich community and highly supportive parents and community members who really support our schools. And so it's really a, a great place to be. We have about 3,500 students. We have four elementary schools that feed into one middle school that go into one high school. So in my mind, really the perfect size to be able to create some, some change and um, some momentum in the, in the district. That's pretty incredible. I don't, you know, I've heard about districts having that many languages and being that diverse, but I imagine that a lot of teachers who come into your district probably haven't had that experience before. Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> um, and thinking about that, like what does professional development or, I mean, I know you guys call it professional learning, um, look like at Greenfield? So in the school district of Greenfield, we've really taken what we like to call a layered approach to professional learning. And it starts out with what we call the bookends of the school year. And so the bookends of the school year is that kind of first couple days coming back to school and then our last professional learning day, um, which was in, at the end of May. And those are district-wide days. Um, and it, to kick off the school year, we really have a, a key focus in an area that's district-wide that then filters into the school continuous growth plans that filters into our um, professional learning teams like grade level teams or course level teams that then oftentimes feed into um, school goals and then also feed into individual teacher goals. So you kind of try to have that big umbrella approach. Um, the bookend, the final bookend of the year in May is really an exciting celebration. Again, we usually have somebody who's a keynote um, who really speaks to the review of the previous year, but then also previews our goal for, uh, or our desired outcome for the incoming year. And then we turn it into almost like a, a conference type of setting where we have several breakout sessions that are led by primarily our teachers. And it's based on some of the professional inquiry that they've conducted over the course of the year, and they're able to then share that with their peers. This year we had 35 different breakout sessions by our professional educators, and I would say that that probably represents about 70 different teachers, um, because oftentimes teachers partner up or triple or quadruple, they work in, in small teams. And then we had a, a few other uh, outside presenters as well. And it, it's just really a rich experience for our teachers and an opportunity for teachers to lead. So that's kind of like the district foundational piece. Then we ask all of our buildings to have uh, school growth plans, continuous growth plans. And as a part of that is to have really true professional learning plans. How are they gonna use their faculty meeting time? How are they gonna use the other professional learning days that we have throughout the year? And those should all be aligned um, specifically to the desired outcomes of their, of their school growth plan goals. Then we have job embedded professional learning is another layer. So we have um, instructional coaches in each of our buildings. Uh, professional learning communities are an active group and that's how a lot of professional inquiry occurs um, in small teams. 
And then, um, you know, we have really rich mentoring program as well. And so that's a really job embedded where there's colleagues uh, providing feedback to other colleagues, principals providing feedback. And so it's the opportunity to take what they've learned in maybe some of these other settings and put it into practice with feedback and the opportunity to, to try it, try again and, uh, you know, take some instructional risks in the classroom. I did want to know uh, just real quick, so I know you mentioned that 70 teachers, about what percentage of your teaching staff is that? So we have about um, 260 teachers in the district. So it's a good chunk that are engaging in that work, yeah. And then the final layer is we provide opportunity for our teachers to engage in self-directed professional learning. We really want our teachers to think about their, their strengths their students who are in front of them and how can they develop some professional learning plans that really enhance their practice in the classroom in order to benefit their students and their students that are sitting in front of them in the classroom. And so we provide, um, in lieu of a, a sit and get kind of day in the beginning of the school year, we provide eight hours of self-directed professional learning time. Um, along with that, we have some guiding questions to guide their self-reflection like what what do i need to be learning now why why is that important how will that support my students how does that align to um, what it is that our building goals are um, how does that impact my professional learning community that i work with and then um, we also have a goal setting process as part of educator effectiveness here in the state of wisconsin but we've tweaked that goal setting process to be what we call a professional practice goal plus impact. So what am I going to learn about my practice, practice and try in the classroom with feedback, and then what impact is that going to have on student learning in the classroom? And so with all those four layers really provides this kind of 360 view of professional learning at all levels of the organization. It sounds like you guys have thought very carefully about professional learning and the power that it can have impacting the classroom. How do you think in the past, like professional learning has failed for teachers or has not been productive? Yeah, and you know, that's a really great question, Brittany. And I think about my experience as a educator and I, I taught for 11 years. So I was in the classroom for a substantial period of time. And I, I think we've really not met teachers' needs in, in several ways. In the past, I think we've treated all teachers the same and not honored their expertise and their strengths. You know, I can think about sitting in the auditorium, hearing, you know, the, the presentation on X and wondering, is this something that's going to stay? Is this something that's going to, you know, we're going to hear about once and we're never going to hear about it again? Are we going to get a new administrator the following year? And will that be a priority for them? So, you know, there hasn't been that, that consistency, that honoring of expertise. Didn't honor teacher voice and choice to say, based on my self-reflection, based on my kids, this is what I need right now. The other thing, too, as I would say, is that we oftentimes treat teachers exactly in the opposite direction of what we want teachers to do in the classroom. <laughs> So true. So we talk, yeah, we talk about personalization of learning and how important that is. And then we model directly the opposite um, in ways when we, uh, as districts and, and leaders, present professional learning to staff. And so I think modeling the expectation is the most important piece there. Yeah, I know we've 
talked with other superintendents like about team meetings they were talking about like you know you, you would never tell a teacher just get up in front of your students and talk to the students for for the 40 minutes right i mean no superintendent no principal would ever do that why are you doing that with your teachers exactly as a matter of fact if if you were evaluating that teacher that would be feedback that you would be giving and then you know that that's a week later they're coming into a professional learning opportunity and that's the exact situation that they're being a part of so I think that's really what's driven us is uh, to really model the expectation of what we want to see in the classroom and use really utilize and model some of those high leverage best practice strategies that we know engage kids and adults. I was thinking about some of that when you were talking about having the annual celebration at the end of the year. Um, I was a teacher for eight years, and I don't know how many times we would start off our you know, district with some sort of challenge or practice, and then we would never hear about it past maybe October. And so I imagine that end of the year celebration is a really good opportunity to reflect back on not just a few weeks of something, but a whole year of trying to accomplish something big. Um, and also thinking about voice and choice, um, in my experience as an educator, and I'm sure you've seen this too, many teachers are not only um, practitioners, but also researchers and academics and are intensely curious about how to make what they do even more effective. And so I think it, you know, it's very powerful to imagine professional learning where the teacher gets to take that curiosity and expertise and put it into action. And I think too, that I couldn't agree more is so important. And then I think about that ripple on the pond, right? So that drop in the water. And so how do we create those ripples? So giving teachers that platform and that opportunity to be able to share their learning with others in a meaningful way is so very important. And what does that professional learning look like for your teachers throughout the year? Because obviously you have these bookends where I'm assuming the first one probably looks a little more like maybe you would see it a lot of districts where it's, you know, kind of this you know intro celebration. But, um, you know, obviously this ending is really unique and you're actually having teachers share things they've done. But throughout the year, what does that look like for for your average teacher within the district? So, you know, it's really building based in between those bookends and we really encourage our principals and their leadership teams. Um, So every building has a continuous growth plan that they're working on and their school um, innovation and leadership team is developing that professional learning plan. And so we talk about using the understanding by design framework for teachers um, in the classroom, but also as we're developing professional learning. So what are the desired outcomes that we want for that day or that hour or that block, whatever it would be? Um, What evidence will we use to know that that's actually taking place? And then what are the activities that we're going to engage educators in in order to be able to really bring that desired outcome to fruition? So it's rarely sit and get. There might be like a mini lesson. We're big into the workshop model here, so there might be a mini lesson of a short period of time. Um, Then there's activities and practice. There's the opportunity for feedback, and then there's usually some closure. And the other thing I would say that our principals and, and leaders, school leadership teams do an exceptional job at is differentiating that. So, um, for example, one of our buildings is really working on leveraging feedback for students and having students up-level their performance based on feedback that they're receiving. And so they provided a variety of different activities to be able to 
for teachers who are just kind of entering, providing really rich feedback versus those who really understand how to give rich feedback to students. And now how do you help students internalize that, generalize that, and up-level their performance? So rarely will you see everybody doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and it sounds like you're looking at teachers and kind of like you would say with your students, looking at them where they're at right now and helping them kind of you know get to where you need them to be or get where you want. Kind of like it seems you're taking that same approach here with teachers and looking at them as individuals. Absolutely, that's that's the goal. And working the the other thing too is working in small groups and teams in a collaborative setting so that teachers can bounce ideas off of each other and provide feedback to each other about practice and sharing you know collaboratively scoring student work talking about strategies that have worked or maybe not worked as well and what might be next steps. So they're really working through that, doing what's best for kids together as in small teams. Where did this approach to giving teachers more agency and more authority and how they um, chose their professional learning paths come from? Was this feedback from teachers or the community or did you feel like students weren't really seeing the effects of strong teacher professional development? So I would say that, you know, it's a sum of some of a lot of those things. So feedback from teachers, absolutely. Like, please honor us as professionals and leverage our expertise to be able to work collaboratively with our peers and to share others um, and provide us multiple entry points into the work. Um, we've taken on an approach of, like I said, the workshop model, which required a great deal of professional learning. Um, modeling needed to be a, a big part of that. Um, so, you know, we do readers and writers and, and math workshop. Um, so that also was a part of that. Um, I, I would also say that it's some of the best practice. You know, when we look at adult learning theory, some of the things that are super important are, you know, allowing teachers to and adults to be self-directed in their work, um, making it experiential and, and leveraging back, background knowledge. Um, making it relevant to their current roles. So like I can learn something, apply it the next day, receive feedback, um, take some instructional risks and, and try it again. Um, and then really having it be application-based. And so our, um, our mission statement in the district says that um, we believe all learning begins with meaningful relationships. So building community is also a really important part of our professional learning sessions. Um, and then it says, our mission is to develop learners who can apply knowledge and think innovatively as a result of engaging in rigorous and relevant opportunities. And you notice that we didn't say students, we said learners. And as an organization, something that we believe is that we're all learners in that work. And so our mission really drives, and our mission came from our community. 70 community members came together to develop that mission and our desired outcomes for our strategic plan, which um, we call our Pathways to Success. And in order to do that, we need to all be continuous learners and grow and, and be innovative and creative and apply what it is that we're learning on a regular basis. And so that's, I mean, truly what's driven us. I will say, I don't think that in any of my years of professional development, I've ever heard anybody say adult learning theory. Um, so kudos to you guys for you know recognizing that there is science there and that there are best practices there. <laughs> Thank you. What impact has this approach had on your district? Have you seen 
this change the way that students are you know honored in their roles as learners you know absolutely um when we start talking about our school-based continuous growth plans we have several goals that are around like student agency uh, voice and choice self-directed learning um, collaboration so it is being pulled through what is happening with kids I see much more collective ownership for the goals of the continuous growth plan. I can remember in my teaching days, you know, there was a committee who did that school improvement thing, and it was a group of like maybe six to eight people who did that work, and that didn't really permeate into the rest of the building. And what we're seeing is that the school growth plans are really permeating the other, every classroom in the building. It's really taken a hold in the district and it's elevated that idea of continuous growth for each. So wanted to maybe get a little specific here for our listeners. So could you actually share maybe an example of, of some professional learning that you saw a teacher go through, like one that really stuck out to you or that really had a lasting impact on you or, or other people within the district? One of the things that was really, I was exceptionally proud of and excited about was our uh, professional practice goals plus impact um, that our teachers set. And it was something uh, new that we tried uh, based on teacher feedback. Uh, Teachers really felt like they were setting two goals, this professional practice goal, and then this student learning objective, and the two didn't, they were siloed. They didn't feel like they connected. And so with COVID, we had some autonomy from our Department of Public Instruction to be able to try some different things with these growth goals. And so listening to teachers and their feedback, we said, well, let's let's connect the two and, and see what happens. And in January, I had one of our teachers ask if she could just talk a little bit about, can we continue this process? Because she felt it was so powerful and meaningful. And so she and I set up a Zoom call to talk about her goal she's a kindergarten teacher and her professional practice goal was about really getting kids to comprehend what it was that they were were reading and the way that she was assessing that was through the conversations that they were having about their reading she was telling me stories about students during uh, sharing time and after they've read during their workshop time sharing what they've read and building on each other's conversations and using the language of, as a kindergartner, I hear what my colleague or my, you know, I hear what my friend Sarah is saying and I, and they were doing hand motions. I'd like to build upon her thought by saying X, Y, or Z. And I just, I was struck by the fact that if we have kindergartners doing that type of work, um, you know, the sky is the limit. And so just the fact that the teacher felt like she had the autonomy to be able to do that in her classroom, um, focus on something about her own professional growth, be able to speak specifically about the evidence of what she was seeing in the classroom, and just the ability to continue to build. Kids at in January were where she th- thought they would be at the end of the year. So having this flexibility and responsiveness to be able to continue to build on that and not feel like, well, now I, I can stop because I, you know, I'm done. I've got this, I can set the bar even higher for my kids. So it's just, it was a really powerful story and it just really provided me the evidence that our, our teachers feel like this was meaningful work for them and really important. 
that this is, is obviously having a huge impact on students. I mean, when I think about like kindergartners talking collaboratively about ideas, like that's, that's a high bar. And a lot of our conversation, it feels like language has been really important to you as you've redefined what professional learning, I mean, to give an example, looks like in your district. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we've really tried to focus on asset-based and growth-based language as opposed to deficit um, language. And so one of the examples is oftentimes buildings would have school improvement plans. And there was always this, I don't know, improvement sometimes has the connotation that something is wrong and we need to fix it. And so we've changed that to school-based continuous growth plans. So it's that idea of we're, we're always growing, always doing things differently and up-leveling our work. Um, we did change from professional development, this idea that we have to develop into something different, into professional learning. We're a learning organization. We don't have building leadership teams, we call them school leadership and innovation teams. And having the word innovation there was really important to us because we want that idea of transformational change and instructional leadership means that you need to take some risks in the classroom and innovate um, and adapt to changing circumstances and, and the students in front of us. Some of the discussions that we've had previously about teacher goal setting um, they used to be called mid-year reviews, and we changed that into a midpoint conversation. And the feedback from teachers is that felt better. It's just that they were having a conversation with their principal about their professional growth and the evidence of student learning in their classroom as opposed to feeling like they were being reviewed. That kind of asset-based and growth-based language that's really had an impact in the district. Well, I think the professional learning, professional development one is really interesting because if you're talking about professional development, it seems like it kind of implies that you're having to develop into a professional, whereas with professional learning, it takes the assumption that these educators, they are already professionals. This is how we're helping them grow in what they're already doing. And it helped us connect it back to our, our mission as well, which said that, you know, we develop learners who apply knowledge and think innovatively. And so that's every everybody within the organization, and that doesn't mean just students. So I did want to, I mean, obviously you have a lot of success here with what's happening with your teachers, and it seems like your teachers are kind of latching on pretty quickly to this, but have you had any pushback, or have you had any teachers that maybe are kind of entrenched in that you know old mindset or so? I was just curious if you've had any pushback or if it has been all positive. I mean, I'd say by and large, it's it's been very positive. You know, just some of the obstacles and challenges. Um, turning over the keys is sometimes very challenging um, for us as district and building leaders because there's a sense of um, you kind of have to sit back and let things unfold and allow the opportunity for things to be uncovered um, rather than covering them. And I think that's probably the part that's been the biggest challenge is that the timing doesn't always work out and sometimes uncoverage happens at different times in different ways. And so being patient and balancing that sense of urgency for realizing change with that sense of support and allowing things to unfold, we've had to kind of recalibrate sometimes. And just remind ourselves that sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. 
And once again, this is a great example of how you're doing things with your teachers, with your educators, that you want to happen in the classroom. Um, the best kinds of lessons are the ones where the students have the agency, where the students are doing the uncovering. And as a teacher, like sometimes that's a little nerve-wracking because it can there's a big potential for it to not go the way you envisioned. But that again, that's okay. Um, and thinking just a little bit more about this language, you've used the words voice and choice a lot. What does it mean for a teacher to have voice and choice, and why do you think it's just that critical? You know, I think giving um, teachers the opportunity to be able to provide us feedback around uh, professional learning opportunities. And to start out, that feedback used to be, you know, did I like the speaker? Did I like the presenter? Did I like the topic? And we've really transitioned to a more open-ended question about what as an educator will be your next steps um, in the classroom and who might you collaborate with, how might you take this to your school leadership team, that kind of stuff. So we've really transitioned in the ways, uh, the types of feedback we've asked from teachers. Um, so they have a voice about that. Oftentimes our professional educators will also make suggestions about sessions that they'd like to see offered or maybe a keynote speaker that they've encountered at some opportunity, professional learning opportunity before. And then choice, again, honoring that expertise that teachers bring to the table and recognizing that there's multiple entry points to the work and their ability to self-assess where they are in that work and find what that entry point for them might be. And there are times where we agree as a district it's important to have a common learning experience and we all have that common learning experience together an example i can provide is like i had mentioned earlier we use the understanding by design process and so um, we had a common learning experience where jay mctai did a, a virtual session for all of us and fan. talked about <laughs> me yeah we, yeah we are too in the district we, we had him come and virtually work with us and talk about what is the definition of understanding and the various facets of understanding because we felt that was important common learning experience we all needed to have. So there's not always voice and choice, but where it is possible, we obviously provide that. It seems to me like this change in professional learning and also honoring voice and choice could have the potential to impact your leadership pipeline. As educators are given opportunities to really think about how they want to develop, have you noticed like maybe an increased interest in leadership? You know, you at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that you had never considered yourself as like a future superintendent before that idea was, you know, pointed out to you. Do you think that in this sort of self-directed learning, teachers might have more of an opportunity to think critically about where they see their career headed? I would say absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of teachers who don't want to leave the classroom, but we have found ways for teachers to lead from within the classroom. Through the school leadership and innovation team, that's one example. We have a new team, a new leadership team called PLATE, which is professional learning and training team. And so they're really working on now developing those district-wide common learning experiences and other trainings that might need to occur. We have mentors, we have coaches. We consider all of those leadership opportunities. As a matter of fact, we had two of our school instructional coaches 
one has gotten a district position in, in a neighboring school district, and one has gone into the private sector to lead professional learning there. So we are building leaders within our ranks here in the district. You're not worried about everybody poaching all of your teachers and everything I mean, with all of this investment you're making? Yeah. <laughs> and we're, you know, we have multiple people who have also done, you know, done leadership positions here, uh, assistant principals. Um, one of our English teachers has now become an assistant principal uh, in the district as well. So people do stay when there's opportunities, but when we don't have one, we're excited for them, sad for us, but super excited for them. Well, and I think about for, I mean, a young teacher or even an experienced teacher, right? I mean, having seen this opportunity or seeing a district that is investing in me as a professional, that's pretty attractive, I mean, from a teacher recruitment perspective. You know, we hear that um, when we bring new teachers on, frequently they'll say, I've heard from a friend, I've heard from a colleague, uh, the types of professional learning that you do here in the district, and very excited to be a, to be a part of that. Also knowing that there are leadership lanes um, for people to lead from. And again, the ability to lead from within the classroom and, and not have to leave being in front of students on a daily basis has also been really attractive to people as well. So I did want to touch on one more thing um, about this whole kind of structure because you mentioned it briefly and I think you used the language of the teachers in, in this process, you decide like what evidence you're going to use in order to evaluate this, which I thought was a really interesting way of taking this and saying, okay, we need to evaluate this uniquely because we're doing this pretty unique thing. So I was curious, like, with this idea of assessing this professional learning, it seems like it's kind of tied maybe some of that idea of a standardized assessment in general with students, right? It's just not effective in, in really evaluating their progression or their growth. It wouldn't be for teachers either. So it seems like you're kind of taking some of that perspective as well. Correct. And, you know, we talk frequently about the portfolio of evidence um, that we need to have and that it's really a photo album of evidence as opposed to a snapshot in time. We use that for students, and we also talk about that for, for teachers as well. One of the, like, I would say touchstone, art, touchstone excuse me, articles that we've used with our leaders to talk about assessing or determining the impact of professional learning has been an article by Tom Gusky, and it was in Ed Leadership in March of 2002. So it's an oldie but a goodie. Um, and it's called Does It Make a Difference? Evaluating Professional Development. <clears throat> and he talks about the multiple levels in that article about evaluating professional learning. And kind of the base level is participants' reaction to it. Did they like it? Did they not like it? And he said that's usually where a lot of it stops and we don't move to the other levels. And then talking about what evidence do we have that the participants have learned how has it changed the organization is the next level. Um, how are teachers utilizing the knowledge and skills? And then really the epitome of effectiveness is, is it impacting student learning? And what evidence do you have to indicate that? So that's one of our favorite articles here in the district and we use that one. We go back to it frequently with our, with our leaders. One thing we talk to superintendents a lot about is trust and just how important trust is between teachers and leaders and also students and teachers and and so on. But it seems like this profound amount of respect that you're showing your professional educators 
could be something that really impacted how they trusted their building and district leadership. Some of the best, you know, highest power teachers I've known are willing to listen to any new idea and try any new thing that they think could improve their effectiveness as a teacher. But what they do not want is for their time to be either undervalued or wasted say having to sit through professional development that they've heard before or that doesn't apply to their students and when that happens that really can dent the trust they have with their building leadership do you think that teachers feel more valued um, when they are given this opportunity to have ownership and if so do you think that improves school and district culture I you know I really think it does improve uh, school and district culture. I think when you feel like your uh, voice is being heard, when there can be this dialogue, this back and forth, and this discussion, is really powerful. And I also think too is the ability to find the relevance in what it is that individuals are learning and be able to have an opportunity to apply that learning with feedback. And I think the with feedback part is really, really important. It's been a challenge, obviously, with COVID, kind of getting back to that ongoing, consistent feedback from within the classroom. And we're really trying to focus, too, is that it can't just reside with the building leader, the principal, or with the instructional coach, but how can we start to get peer feedback happening on that level and again that requires trust to be able to give that peer feedback so that's kind of the the next level of where we aspire to. So thinking about educator professional learning how do you think that professional learning for teachers is viewed differently than other professions and what do you think that says about like how society either values or undervalues or something else about teachers? Yeah you know that's a really good question. I I've seen some um, professional learning in in the business sector and sometimes it it can be very sit and get as well and other times it can be very interactive or self-directed. One of the books that we've utilized, which is not an education book, but the expertise economy um, has been a a really important um, text also because it just talks about the ability to um, have the autonomy to drive some of the learning, um, be able to have feedback on what it is, but really that relevance that I can take it and apply it right away. Um, and I don't, I think that's been the missing part in, in education. And so bringing that to the forefront has been really important for us as a learning community. So just to wrap up, I mean, one, really thankful for your time here today, but thinking about, you know, superintendents that, uh, especially that are just starting right now, I know we have a lot of brand new superintendents that have started within the last month. Do you have any advice for new superintendents or just other superintendents out there across the country? I think my piece of advice would be is build your team and build that team out, you know, in ripples on the pond. Again, build those opportunities for teachers to lead in a variety of ways because through that you'll build collective ownership for the goals and what you hope to achieve as a district. Well, thank you so much today, Lisa. We really do appreciate your time today on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Thanks for listening to this School CEO Conversation. You can follow Superintendent Elliott and the School District of Greenfield on Twitter at Greenfield underscore SD. 
Subscribe to School CEO at schoolceo.com for more advice, stories, and strategies for leading your schools. School CEO is brought to you by Aptigee.